The Big Blue Box Podcast, Episode 4. Hello everyone, coming to you from somewhere in space and time, this is the Big Blue Box Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. My name's Gary and coming up in this episode we have the usual news roundup. Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, a subject that's been in my mind for the last couple of weeks and I'm not sure why but um, a slightly controversial subject is the the key differences between the Russell T Davies and the Stephen Moffat eras. Um, The they kind of get a lot of stick individually on their own and it seems to be a lot of discussion. It seems to just pop up on forums now and then. Um, uh, just people kind of saying one thing about one era and then somebody jumps in and completely demolishes it and then they praise the other era and then you get this kind of to in and throw in. So it's kind of been on my mind for a little while, last week or so. Uh, so I just want to put my thoughts out on that. Um, And then we're going to jump into this episode's classic DVD retrospective, which is um, Colin Baker's Attack of the Cybermen. Uh, So without further ado, let's crack on with the news. So kind of a big one uh, for Doctor Who this this week. Um, The uh, 50th anniversary story, the day of the Doctor, sorry, um, has won the Radio Times Audience Award at the BAFTAs. And the award goes to Doctor Who, Day of the Doctor. God, we're, uh, we're shocked. Uh, Honoured, um, it's a particularly special award because it's voted for by the viewers at home and um, obviously that means a huge amount. Um, I just have to say, we're really surprised if we'd known, I think someone famous would be standing here. Um, but anyway, uh, loads of people to thank, um, obviously. Um, amazing producer, uh, Marcus, director Nick Curran, um, our brilliant, brilliant cast, Matt Smith, David Tennant, um, Jenna Coleman, Billy Piper, John Hurt, um, and one person really missing tonight is Stephen Moffat, showrunner. Um, uh, his ideas, his imagination um, is, is, uh, supports the show and guides the show, and um, you know we're hugely grateful to him. But also, I do think um, it's worth saying that this show really is for anybody, sorry, this award really is for anybody who's had a hand in Doctor Who over the last 50 years um, because uh, we celebrated our anniversary last year. So this is really special. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, On the last podcast, you would remember me saying that the, um, sorry, that Doctor Who had picked up a couple of awards at the, um, the BAFTA Craft Television Awards where, um, that that's more kind of a, more of an industry um, led awards and a bit more of the behind the scenes things. Um, I'm assuming. Whereas the BAFTAs that were on on uh, Sunday night, I believe, um, they're more of the proper BAFTAs. Can we say that the the proper ones? <laughs> um, so yeah, Doctor Who's picked up a BAFTA, which is awesome. So the day of the Doctor really uh, really sort of hammering home the you know the the good fight for the doctor and i love it i love it when the doctor wins these this type of award because um this is the one that's voted for by the public 
and it kind of just lays to rest all of the cynics and all of the the guys that um, guys or gals whatever that kind of put this vibe out there sometimes about Doctor Who where for some reason they start talking about dwindling um, viewer counts they start talking about the popularity of Doctor Who taking a nosedive and it's not what it was and all that kind of stuff and I kind of like the way that Stephen Moffat um, uh, kind of handles this, where he's kind of got this meh kind of attitude, like, yeah, whatever. He knows that he's doing a good job. He knows that Doctor Who is pulling in the numbers. I mean, last year, probably slightly different because of all of the extra uh, material that was on because of the 50th anniversary. But still, um, you know, I, I like it when Doctor Who wins these awards that are voted for by the public because if Doctor Who was... According to these people, if Doctor Who was doing so badly and there wasn't enough, you know, there wasn't enough viewers coming through each week and that sort of thing, then it wouldn't be picking up these awards voted for by the public. So um, it kind of silences the cynics and the um, and the people that like to stir the pot, and uh, so that's a really cool. And it was a really good night actually because um, the Broadchurch guys picked up quite a lot. So obviously Broadchurch was um, a really really good. Um, kind of classic whodunit tale um, that went out last last year, starring David Tennant um, and Olivia Coleman, and she's won her, um, I think it's her third BAFTA in a couple of years. Um, so she starred opposite um, David Tennant in Broadchurch, and so her her BAFTA was for leading actress, um, and that was really cool. And David Tennant was very very cool in that. Um, so it was kind of a Doctor Who-y kind of vibey night, to be honest with you. Um, so that was cool. So uh, Doctor Who picking up um, a BAFTA. So well done, the whole team, um, BBC Wales, all those guys. Um, really good stuff. And also it's um, another good thing. So I don't mean to go on about this, but another good uh, thing that comes out of Doctor Who winning things like the, like a BAFTA is that it really sort of nails home just just how well the... The, the cast and crew and the writers and producers and stuff on the show just it just goes to show you know how much hard work they put into the sh- in, in, into the whole thing um, yeah I, it, it doesn't really go you know we don't really praise those guys enough because I think I said this on a previous podcast where a lot of people assume that because Doctor Who is one of the BBC's flagship shows um that it's got an endless budget and you know and they can kind of do what they want but it really isn't like that they still haven't got you know as, as large a budget as what we think they have so they still have to be creative in the ways that they make the show and and if you if you look if you listen to any or read any interviews with people who have worked on Doctor Who whether it be from the 2005 revival or way back you know throughout the classic years and stuff there's always this vibe that people that they get to work on the show they absolutely love the show and they put their whole you know the 100% into it um and that is just testament really to those guys so um yeah so great news on that on on those guys winning the BAFTA so well done um next bit of news is um there's been a cool video posted up on YouTube um if you remember back last year there was that big rumour mill churning for a few months about um, they somebody supposedly had got hold of a load of missing episodes 
And this kind of went around the internet for a little while and around social media and stuff that there was these lost episodes and, you know, it was written off, it was too good to be true and nobody kind of believed it and all that kind of stuff. And then it actually came to fruition. I don't think it was as much as what people were hoping for. Um, but ultimately, nine episodes were found and um, returned to the BBC. And they were episodes from two of the Troughton um stories which was the enemy of the world and the web of fear so they were uh, they were handed back to the bbc and they were straight away put into the hands of the restoration team um so one of the members of that team um uh, paul vanessa's he's actually put a video up on youtube of the kind of process they went through when they got these videos um so just a little bit of um it's, it's a bit technical and it goes through like the the cleanup treatment and and a slight editing and that kind of stuff, but it's very cool to see it from their point of view. Um, and obviously, these are really important episodes because. Um, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that the Troughton era is the uh, that that's the era where there's the most amount of missing episodes. Please correct me if I'm incorrect in that, but I think that's the I think his run suffered the most from. Um, the budget of the BBC at the time where they had this thing where there wasn't enough film to go round so they started deleting um, film or recording over it because they you know there just wasn't enough and they couldn't afford any um, so that's so that was a really good thing when they found that and I'm 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 pretty sure that there is more out there I'm pretty sure that there is we haven't seen the last of these lost episodes turn up in some shape or form um, so let's hope um, in the near future we can get another load of episodes because, you know, the more people that get to see it is just only a good thing. So uh, so I'll put a link in the show notes for that. That's a really good video. It's worth checking out. It's only about uh, five minutes or so. Um, that's very cool. Uh, last bit of news. Um, I'm a really big comic book guy. Um, if you follow me personally on Twitter or Facebook, you would know that I run another blog. Um, which covers every like things like TV, movies, and comics, and sci-fi, and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm a really big comic guy, so I was really excited when I, I first heard this bit of news a few months ago, actually, and it was um, uh, Titan Comics have, um, have commissioned a new uh, comic run, which is going to be out in July for um, the 10th and the um, 11th Doctors. And I saw this a few months ago, and I only saw the covers, um, and they looked very good in themselves, so I was, I was quite intrigued by that. And then um, there was a trailer that was released, I think it was yesterday. Um, was it yesterday? As I, I'm recording this on Wednesday the 21st of May, by the way. Um, and I think it might have been, yeah, maybe a few days before. Um, so yeah, so there's been an actual proper trailer now, and again, I'll put the link to this in the show notes. Um, uh, but yeah, there's going to be a two new comic runs. One will be the David Tennant 10th Doctor and then the Matt Smith 11th Doctor. And there's also um, supposedly uh, a 12th Doctor range based on um, Capaldi, which will be out later in the year. Um, so they're from Titan Comics. They look very good. Check the trailer out. The artwork looks really, really good. Really top-notch stuff. And um, I'll definitely be picking these up. Um, however, there is one slight caveat to this. Um, for some strange, this is this thing that really kind of burns my bacon a little bit. There's kind of um, 
a disclaimer that's going out with the official news from Titan Comics, and that is because of licensing restrictions, the comics can only be bought digitally by people in the UK and Ireland. So if you live in the US or probably most other countries worldwide, you're going to be fine. You can pick up the actual physical comics. That's great. But for some bizarre reason, um, if you live in the UK or Ireland, you can't get the physical comic. You can only pick it up digitally. Now, you can do that either. They're, they're saying that um, you can do it through an app called Comixology. And if you own, if you're a comic book reader and you own an iPad and you don't own the app Comixology, you need to go and get that immediately. It's now owned by Amazon. So it's in the near future, they're going to probably link that up with the Amazon Kindle um, ecosystem. So that'll be make it, that'll make it easier to purchase comics. Um, so as far as I know, it's definitely available. You can pre-order it now via Comixology. Um, they're also saying it'll be available on Amazon Kindle and the Apple iBook store. So there are um, two or three different places that you can go and purchase it and pre-order um, digitally. But if you like your physical comics, you may have to get it imported or check out a comic book store which has them, which kind of does imports anyway. Um, I go to Forbidden Planet. I go to the store... Um, on Shaftesbury Avenue in London quite regularly. And I do see the odd import in there. So I might go in there or contact them before to see if they'll have it physically because I do want to pick it up and um, keep hold of it and collect it as a physical item. But I'll also be pre-ordering um, pre the, um, the digital version. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, they look really good. Check them out. Like I said, I'll put a show, uh, sorry, a link to the sh in, in the show notes. Um, so go and check it out. So that wraps up the news and I'm now going to move on to um, my kind of ranty um, section. Well, it's not really a rant, but more of a kind of um, uh, stuff that's on my mind. I just want to spill out and talk to you guys. Um, and it's going to be about the the kind of key differences between the Russell T Davies era and the Stephen Moffat era. And I want to just start off by saying... I like both of them equally. Um, I'm not one of these guys that has has, has major issues with either of them. Um, I really do enjoy both equally as much. Um, I've got kind of more of a more of a, a, a kind of a love relationship with the Russell T Davies era because that's the one that I personally jumped into Doctor Who first. Um, if you've listened to the first podcast episode that I did, um, when I told you a little bit about myself, um, I'm a slight latecomer to Doctor Who. I I started watching it, um, well, the Matt Smith um, stuff had already started, um, and that's when I first started watching Doctor Who, but I had to go back and pick up the DVDs from Series 1 from 2005 and start watching them through. Um, 
So although although I started watching Doctor Who when it was on TV and Matt Smith was in the role, um, I I actually didn't watch too much of it. I I didn't want to get lost in that and then have to go and play catch up too much. So I just went straight back and started watching it from from two thousand five with Chris Eccleston. And because of that, you know, my heart kind of lays a little bit with the Russell T Davis stuff because it just had such an impact on me. Um, and I've heard other people say the same thing. And they've also said it about the Moffat era as well, where um, they're kind of late to the party with Doctor Who and then um, they just started watching the Matt Smith stuff. And once that had finished, um, in between seasons with Matt Smith, they went back and started watching the other stuff. And they said the same thing about the Moffat era, where they that's the first batch of Doctor Who that they started watching. So they're... You know, that's it's almost like your first doctor, or you know, when when people describe the doctor as my doctor and stuff like that, it's kind of like that with these kind of two very different eras of Doctor Who in the in the, the modern world. Um, so I like them both equally. My heart does lay a little bit with the Russell T Davis because that had more of an impact on me. But um, there has been a lot of well, not I say a lot of. There's been a bit of chat on forums. Um, I I just keep I keep seeing the same threads come up and up every few months it tends to die down for a while and then somebody will say something or mention something and you know somebody else will then jump in and it will kind of go from there I think one of the um, thread questions that I saw recently was why is there so much hate towards Rose and you know, expectedly a few people jumped in and said, oh, it's because of X, Y, Z, and then some other people jumped in and said, that's not fair, blah, 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 blah. And then someone else jumped in and said, well, the Russell T. Davis area was rubbish because of blah, blah, blah. Um, the Stephen Moffat, the Matt Smith stuff is a lot better. And then somebody else jumped in and said, well, that's not true because of... And it just kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. And like I said, I see this pop up regularly every few months you know it tends to die down for a while and then all it takes is one question and then it's like a it's like an all-out um all-out war if you like um and I think it's just a bit I think it's a bit silly if I'm honest with you um because each era has got so much to offer if you look at the Russell T Davis stuff that really is a time when we really, really needed Doctor Who to be what it was and what they made it to be. Um, they needed it to be... Because bringing back a show like Doctor Who, it needs to hit a certain mark on a few different levels. So, you know, it needed to be very current at the time. It needed to be modern. It needed to be... It needed to be different, but the same. And I'll try and make sense of that statement. Um, it needed to be different in a way that it needed to feel like it was a new show coming to TV. You know, it needed to feel like it had that that freshness to it and that kind of, you know, excuse the pun, that regeneration. Um, but at the same time, because I think I might have read this somewhere years ago, um, that it could have gone one of two ways. It could have been, they could have done Doctor Who as a complete reboot and just ignored everything before. Um, there was kind of very, very small talk of that. Um, or, you know, thankfully, the way they'd done it was they just kept 
you know, everything from 63 onwards. They kept that very much intact and kept it as canon. Um, and, and, and built that into the show. And, you know, those references back to the older years is, is fantastic. Um, so it needed to be those things at the time. Um, but it also needed to be the same. So like I said, it needed to be different. It needed to feel fresh, new. But at the same time, it needed to still be Doctor Who because all of the fans that have been watching it for years and years and years, they haven't gone anywhere. You know, they're still the same people. They still want the same things from the show or they want similar things from the show. So Russell, I don't, I don't quite, I don't think we quite know just how much was was on Russell T Davis's shoulders bringing the show back it must have been so just the pressure must have been huge for him because if he got it wrong then you know that's potentially a career breaker you know um but fortunately you know it's all good and the way that the i think because because there is such a divide with these these two different um these two different eras it's because at the end of the Russell T Davies era you had not just the actor leaving the role you had some key people um, leaving in terms of behind the scenes as well so along with David Tennant going obviously Russell T Davies stepped down um, and then you had the, the top producer another producer a couple of the writers some of the crew and stuff you know they all decided to leave at the same time so it's a bit like you know it's a bit like you know leaving your school year and then going back the next year and your you know your form tutor is completely different you're in a different class your timetable is different you know it's it's completely different but you're in the same place um so when moffat took over you know he's now stepped into the plate we've got a new doctor new producers all that kind of stuff and the whole vibe is completely different and one of the um one of the the biggest issues that i had with the moffat era when i started to watch through it was his reluctance to mention pretty much anything to do with the russell t davis stuff um i think matt smith's very first episode the 11th hour um near the end when he's where he's on the roof um and he's kind of going through you know, he kind of put in the, the scarers on, on the, on the uh, the big eyeball thing. I can't remember the name now. Um, and it's like um, it's like a, a hologram in front of him. He's going through all the classic doctors, and he steps through it and stuff. So that's very cool. You know, that harks back to all that stuff. But my one of my biggest issues that I had with Moffat was, and this was as I, as, I, as I was watching through it, there was no, there was no mention of Rose or Martha or Donna. There was no. Well, there's nothing with any poignancy anyway, nothing of any importance. Um, and I kind of thought, well, you know, this is wrong. You can't, you know, Stephen Moffat can't just erase the past, you know, five seasons or uh, seasons. I hate that. Oh, US. Um, he couldn't just, you know, completely ignore the past five, six series of, of the show. Um because in that respect, it kind of does feel like a reboot. It does feel like this is fresh and new and doesn't really want to reference anything before that. But then as I started to get through it and think about it more, it's like, well, this is kind of what the show needs, doesn't it? Because as long as along with the Doctor regenerating, along with the Doctor, you know, changing his um, 
his persona or his character, whatever, the show needs to regenerate as well. You know, I think that's key to its survival and that it needs to change, it needs to adapt, it needs to move forward. And that's exactly what Stephen Moffat, you know, gave us. He gave us a new a new look on the doctor, the show, the companions, you know, all that stuff, you know, is new and you know, when you look at it like that, you know, it's okay. It's because you do want this kind of really big continuity and canon thing going on. You want that consistency. But at the same time, you do still need the show to move on and adapt and stuff. So, you know, if you're getting into a, if, you know, you're sitting down with your buddies and you're talking Doctor Who or you're on a forum and you see people discussing this stuff, um, you know, just jump in and say, look, this is, you know, because I think people are quick to judge and quick to jump in and, and condemn Russell T Davis for not doing something a certain way. And they're quick to, to jump down Moffat's throat and say, you know, this is, you know, you've ruined it and blah, 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 where if you look at the bigger picture, it's, you know, it's it's because of those guys and the way that they've done it that the show's been so successful. I think people forget that sometimes, that, you know, since Doctor Who's come back, it's been really, really successful and has gone global in a huge way and has made superstars out of the people who were, you know, who were in the show. Um, and they haven't done that on their own. It's It's because of people like Russell T. Davis, Stephen Moffat, and the other producers, that it's got to that level. Look at you. <gasps> You're young. I'm really not, you know. No, but you are. Your eyes. You're younger than I've ever seen you. You've seen me before, then? Please tell me you know who I am. Who are you? Right. Okay. Interesting. What's wrong? You're acting like we've never done that before. We haven't. We haven't. Oh, look at the time. Must be off. Um, but it was very nice. It was. It was good. It was uh, unexpected. You know what they say? It's the first time for everything. And the last time. So when you hear people kind of complaining and, and slagging those guys off, it's like, well, hold on a minute. You know, if they weren't there doing that, and if they weren't there doing it their way, then you wouldn't have Doctor Who on your screens. You know, you'd, you would have literally nothing to moan about. And the only thing that you would be moaning about is that there's no Doctor Who on TV. Um, so for me, they both have their merits. I mean, for me, Russell T. Davis there, I love because it has that kind of typical, um, typical kind of uh, TV um, Saturday night feel to it. Um, it's got that very, um, I'm not going to say soap kind of feel to it because that's wrong, but it's got a very much of a... Um, this kind of continuity feel to it, its own kind of internal continuity that just makes it feel like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I love watching this because I know that, you know, what I'm seeing now and what I'm watching is, you know, very much connected, you know, to everything that we've seen before and, 
you know, and the, I think just the way that it's it, the way that it was made, especially if you look back to the first series with Chris Eccleston, that was very, very, um, very made for TV in quote marks, um, and that kind of transpired all the way through up until um, up until the tenant years, um, and then when you look at that versus the Stephen Moffat era, I don't know that's. Um, it's good in a different way because to me the the Stephen Moffat stuff it doesn't look like it's made for TV and you're probably thinking this this guy's nuts but the Russell T Davis stuff it looks like it was made exactly for the medium that you're watching it on whereas the Stephen Moffat stuff it looks like they're kind of miniature films because they're really the production value is so high and they're really, really cinematic, and they're really, um, you know, they're they're worthy of big screen. You know, they're worthy of going to the cinema to watch it. You know, the scale is very big, and it's quite epic, and you know, not just in visuals, but the soundtrack is, you know, Murray Gold's music is very, um, very big and epic, and you know, the theme "I Am the Doctor" is very, you know, it feels like a movie soundtrack rather than a TV. Um, not all of it, but you know, just that's the that's the general feeling that I get, um, you know, and that's that's my two biggest differences between the two eras. Um, yeah. So in closing, you know, I just wanted to get it off my chest. Really, it's um, it's something that I can't be bothered to just type away and type away in forums and just get shouted down and you know and that kind of stuff. But I did I did want to just me- um just mention that and and talk through it. So um, yeah, the Russell T Davis area. Um, era absolutely fantastic Stephen Moffat era absolutely fantastic um, let's just enjoy both let's just enjoy both and look forward to um, you know what the next um, the next era of Doctor Who is going to be I'm not sure how long Stephen Moffat is going to stay as the showrunner um, I'm not sure how long Peter Capaldi is going to be the Doctor as far as I know if you listen back to um, the podcast episode 2 um, when I did an interview with um, Neil Perryman, um, you know, he had said that Capaldi had only signed a very short-term contract. Um, and, you know, his view was that um, Peter Capaldi could be with us just for one season, like an Eccleston. Um, so I'm not sure on that. I don't know. But, you know... I think when Stephen Moffat steps down and we get somebody else that takes over, you know, whoever that might be, they're going to put their own stamp on it. And then there's going to be three different eras in the modern world of Doctor Who to 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 like and slag off and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, the two eras, I love them both. Let's just enjoy. So that wraps up that little talk of mine, that little rant. Um, I'm now going to have a look at the. Uh, classic uh, DVD retrospective um, but before I do that I just want to give a few shout outs um, I've uh, been on the social stuff and asking you guys what your favourite classic um, Doctor Who DVDs are and um, I've had half a, half a dozen um, uh, replies so thank you very much for getting back to me all on Facebook funnily enough um, when I've done this thing before I've had them on Twitter but uh, these ones have come through Facebook so um, thank you very much for liking my page um, and replying back to me. That's very cool. So uh, the first one comes from Adam on Facebook, and his uh, favourite 
classic story is Remembrance of the Daleks. Um, I don't know if you guys know um, Adam. He runs a very, very cool uh, geek blog called The Geek's Handbag. Um, you can find that online, thegeekshandbag.com. You can find him on Twitter at The Geek's Handbag. Um, yeah, so we've been talking um, quite a lot actually online over the last couple of weeks. Um, and he really, really knows his Doctor Who. And um, I really recommend heading over to check out his videos. If you head over to the site, there's links to like his YouTube stuff and uh, nip over to Facebook as well and like his page. A really nice guy. Uh, so remember to the Daleks. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, Sylvester McCoy. Um, I, I wouldn't expect, of, I didn't expect him to say this one. Um, but I think he just wanted to to step away from the, the usual suspects and kind of mix it up a bit. So, um, yeah, remember, so I personally, I haven't seen this one. Um, and the other suggestions that you guys sent in, if I haven't seen it, I'm going to check them out. So thank you very much for these. So that's the first one, remember to the Daleks. Um, Jeff Waddle on Facebook. Um, uh, he has suggested the talents of Wang Chiang. Um, now, I have seen this one. This one is... Um, Fantastic, one of my favourite Tom Baker episodes or stories. And um it's just really, really it's one of those um one of those classic stories where it's just got such a good um such a good setup and a good um kind of lie back and then just enjoy the ride. You don't have to um, you don't have to think too much about it. You don't have to put yourself into it too much. It's just got that um, really nice, just you know, just cruise through it, and it also gives us two really good characters, um, uh, Yago and Lightfoot. And incidentally, they've actually got a, a new um, audiobook adventure by way of Big Finish that's out um, recently, or is due to be out very soon. Um, so that's really worth checking out. So um, the talents of Wang Chiang, Jeff Weddle, thank you very much. Um, my good friend Nick Gill, also on Facebook, um, he has suggested The Demons, um, an old John Pertwee uh, story. Um, and it's kind of a, a weird link back to um, Adam and the Geek's Handbag because one of his videos um, on YouTube is um, he goes back and, and visits the location where they shot The Demons. Um, and uh, he kind of goes around the different locations the, the big church that was destroyed in the story um, and he chats to a couple of the locals and stuff that's very cool so um, yeah so uh, my buddy Nick he's he's he really likes his classic Doctor Who um, we've spoken briefly about it a few times and um, yeah I know Nick very well outside of um, outside of the social stuff so uh, thank you very much for that buddy um, next up is uh, Ethan Cronin on Facebook. Um, his favourite is The Time Warrior. Again, this is one I haven't seen, um, so I will be uh, checking that out. Thank you very much. Um, Helen Jones on Facebook. Um, she actually started following, following me on Twitter as well, and I have to say she's got one of the most scariest, one of the scariest um, profile pics I've seen. I think, I don't know if it's your face, Helen, um, but whoever's on your profile pic, I'm assuming it's you, um, you've given yourself the kind of possessed zombie kind of look, um, which absolutely scared the crap out of me when I, um, when I 
when I went onto your profile after you started following me. So thank you for the follow, um, but potentially change your profile pic so I can sleep tonight. Um, and your favorite story was uh, Pyramids of Mars, which is another classic uh, Tom Baker. Um, so this is one of my faves, actually. So um, I've got three um, Tom Baker faves, The Talents of Wing Chiang, uh, Pyramids of Mars, and Genesis of the Daleks. So uh, Pyramids of Mars, I actually spoke about that one on the last podcast. Um, and what a fantastic story that is. That's one of those really nice contained stories where it all kind of happens um, in just one location. And, uh, again, it's got a really good supporting cast, good story. Sutek, the bad guy, is really, really uh, good character. And um, overall, that was really well made, that one. Um, the, the effects weren't too bad. The props are really, really good. And again, the support cast were, were pretty cool on that. So thank you very much, Helen Jones. Um, and then lastly, again, through Facebook, um, uh, Kai McNamee. I hope I'm saying that right, McNamee. Um, his favourite is The Curse of Fenric, um, another McCoy story. Um, uh, he's actually described his um, suggestion as McCoy and Aldred are at their best and Fenric is the best one-off villain in the Hooniverse. Um, so out of all these this is another one that I'm still to watch um, I actually bought it on DVD the last time I was at Forbidden Planet um, a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago now um, so I've got it, I've just yet to watch it so um, I will definitely be watching that one very very soon um, so thank you very very much for getting in contact with me it's really interesting to see um, which which classic stories are, are kind of doing it for you guys Um so let's crack on and get on with the uh, classic retrospective Colin Baker's Attack of the Cybermen. Ah! Don't do that! I'm sorry, I, I didn't realise you were so scared. I'm not scared, I was thinking, what do you want? Well, well, I was thinking too. You know that man we found back there? Hmm? Do you think the alien killed him? And if he did, how do you think it'll respond to us? With gratitude. After all, I do have the means of getting it off this planet. Well, I hope it believes you. And if it doesn't... I shall beat it into submission with my charm. So, Attack of the Cybermen. Um, this was another first for me. Uh, I didn't pick this one up on DVD. Uh, this was actually one of the ones that was on the Horror Channel. Uh, for those of you not aware, the, the Horror Channel have started to um, put out some classic uh, Doctor Who stories. I think they do it during the day, and then they do another, they repeat it again in the evening. Um, so I just went through and recorded a load of them in bulk. And Attack of the Cybermen was the one that I watched at the weekend. And um, yeah, I'm not, I, I haven't really seen, um, I've only seen um, two or three of the Colin Baker stuff. And while he's not my favourite um, Doctor, um, I didn't mind this one too much. Um, but there was that one aspect that did let it down a bit for me, and I'll come on to that in a little while. Um, yeah, but overall, it's it's not too bad. As it was it was put out back in 1985, so when I was a wee lad, I was five years old at the time, and this was season 23, 22. Yeah, season uh, series. Bloody hell! Whoever invented the word season in America should be bloody decapitated. I hate that word season. You'll probably hear me say that every single podcast. So, 
Series 22, back in 1985. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I, over, like I said, overall I didn't, I didn't mind it. I thought it was okay. Um, any, any Doctor Who story featuring, you know, one of the larger kind of A-list um, uh, monsters, in this case the Cybermen, obviously, um, tends to be pretty good, um, as long as they've got a decent writer. Um, the story is in two parts. Um, the first kind of opening scene that sets the story up is uh, two guys in the sewers in London are attacked by something which you don't see at first, <clears throat> but it's obvious that it's um, it's the Cybermen because they're the uh, the main monsters, villains, if you like, in the story. Um, and then it cuts to the Doctor. He's 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 just fresh off regeneration, so um, he I think in himself he feels fine, but um, uh, the companion is still Perry from uh, Peter Davison. And uh, she's a bit worried about him. He feels she feels that he's a bit kind of all over the place, and because he's kind of pulling the TARDIS to pieces, he's trying to repair. Um, he's trying to repair the chameleon circuit um, so that it can blend in a little bit better. Um, if you remember from um, the regeneration where um, he first sits up, you know, once um, Peter Davison has gone and it's him, he sits down and. He kind of looks around the TARDIS and he's like, you know, um, change my dear, and not a moment too soon. So he wants to get to work straight away and kind of fix what he feels is, you know, is a a subpar kind of TARDIS. So he's trying to fix these things, and um, in the process of doing that, um, he kind of picks up the signal because back on Earth, um, there's a guy from there was a guy who was in. Um, a character called Lytton, um, a former mercenary, a Dalek mercenary who appeared in Resurrection of the Daleks. Um, he's now on on Earth, and he's a a, a, a mobster, um, like a kind of uh, uh, a typical London uh, uh, small-time thief, gangster type of character. Um, and at first, you think that he's just planning a um, a bank heist. But in actual fact, he's um, he's he's getting some guys together, and he's he's heading down into the sewers, um, because he wants to contact the doctor, and the only way he knows how to do that is by um, setting off a transmitter near to the source of the Cybermen. So, you know, where these people have been attacked down in the sewer, that's where he kind of uh, leads his his uh, his small crew. And he sets off the transmitter, the Doctor picks this up, heads to Earth, and then sets about finding it. And when he does, he he's, um, escapes, because he, when he gets there, he doesn't... I think the first signal that he searches for, he realises a dummy. So when he finds the, the proper signal, he ends up in the sewers himself with Perry. And, um, yeah, he kind of runs into... Um, uh, an, an under an under undercover police officer who's actually investigating Lytton, um, and then it cuts to another scene back on um, back on the Cybermen world um, of Telos. Uh, these two guys who are uh, essentially slaves um, they escape from their from their 
um, they escape from their party and they take on a couple of Cybermen and stuff and try and go in disguise to try and get into cyber control because they know that there's a, a time travel vessel or craft of some kind there. Um, so their plan is to um, is to grab hold of this and escape from Telos. Um, and then it cuts back and then um, the end of part one just sees the Doctor and Perry and uh, this guy Russell who is the undercover police officer. Um, when they go back to the TARDIS they get ambushed by the Cybermen and they get brought to um, the cyber control on Earth um, where they get shown Lytton and the other guy Griffiths and uh, the guy Russell, the undercover guy um, he does manage to actually take on a couple of Cybermen but he ultimately gets killed himself and um, it kind of closes on a cliffhanger the, the cyber leader on Earth uh, he orders the Cybermen to kill Perry and that's how part one ends it's kind of a cliffhanger it's quite cool and then into part two um, the doctor's kind of given him an ultimatum he's like you know if you if you if you you know don't let Perry go I'm gonna you know put the TARDIS into self-destruct and we're all we're all history um, and so the leader he he kind of like yeah okay whatever let's her go which is a bit weak really um, and I'll come on to that in a little while um, and uh, yeah so uh, it turns out that um, the, the side men need to get back to Telos so they do that um, the doctor they all jump in the TARDIS although he's prisoner in the TARDIS he sets a course for although he's a prisoner in the TARDIS sorry he sets a course for Telos um, but instead of ending up in the uh, the control, cyber control, they end up actually in the tombs and they discover that there's um, these inhabitants of 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 Telos known as the the, the Cryons um, and they were there before the Cybermen the Cybermen kind of supposedly wiped them out um, but they were there first apparently um, so then what happens is the, the in the tombs um, the cyber tombs um, these cryons have kind of been messing with them so when they do get woken up they just go on this rampage they look all beaten up and stuff um, and the doctor so Perry um, she manages to escape um, with the with the other two Lytton and Griffiths they you know they, they run off during this kind of initial battle when these old Cybermen wake from the tombs but the doctor gets imprisoned in one of them with um uh, one of the cryons, I think she's the the cryon leader. Her name's Flast, not to be confused with Flask. Uh, her name's Flast, um, and I'm sure it's a she. I don't know if I should be saying that or not. I'm, I just assumed it was a she. It looked like a woman playing the part. Um, so uh, anyway, it turns out that um, this guy Litton has been working with the cryons all along. Surprise, surprise. Um, and it was their plan to get the doctor there so that. Um, they can uh, divert um, uh, Haley's Comet actually into the Earth instead of uh, going past it um, so that will then basically mean that um, they'll be incapable of, of protecting itself from the attack by Mondus um, so the Doctor's kind of surprised by this he's like whoa 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 you know this is a uh, He's really shocked. 
at the whole thing. And um, uh, while he's locked up with this cryon, um, he finds this uh, supply of uh, a substance called Vastior, which is a mineral basically that is kept, you know, below freezing. But when it heats up above freezing, it's like really explosive and stuff. Um, so he uses it to escape. Um, he plants a sonic uh, lance into it to heat up. Um, and while this is going on, um, uh, Lytton and Griffiths they um, meet up with the two slaves from before. Um, they're trying to get through cyber control, but that doesn't work out. And they all get killed, with the exception of Lytton, who then ends up being kind of part converted into Cyberman. Um, and then when the Doctor discovers that Lytton was actually working with the Cryons, um, kind of feels a bit guilty, so goes off to save him. When he gets there, he finds he's kind of part converted into Cyberman. He can't really help him too much. But then the Cyber Controller turns up and Lytton kind of stabs him. He goes down. Um, and then the another Cyberman turns up, Lieutenant, whatever. Bit of a shootout. And then the Doctor essentially is unable to save him, but he has killed the Cybermen. Jumps in the TARDIS, off they go, and then the, the Vastial Mineral essentially heats up and then just erupts and just blows the shit out of the tombs and Cyber Control and everything. And then the Doctor's off, ready to start a new adventure. So that's that's the story and the setup, and uh, and it's, uh, it's not too bad. Didn't go very well, did it? safe. So is history and the web of time. I meant on a personal level. I don't think I've ever misjudged anybody quite as badly as I did Lytton. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, the Cybermen in this, they're kind of a bit, kind of a bit lame. Um, I'm not really used to seeing them, you know, that way. They kind of, they're, they're only kind of you know the stuff that they do in this episode is nothing more than you know very slowly wander around and, and talk for a little while and, and that's pretty much it um you know there isn't much in the way of in the way of action there isn't much in the, i mean there's a couple of little shootouts and stuff you know and the one you know the best one is right at the end when the doctor um uh, dispatches the cyber controller and this other cyberman and and that really is it. I mean, there's a couple of other little bits when they get to Telos and, and they're at the tombs and the Cybermen are looking for Perry and the Doctor. Um, yeah, but it's not really much. I mean, there are some really, really good Cyberman stories where they seem to be a bit more, um, a bit more mobile and a bit more with it and not, you know, defeated so easily. Um, and I, I know it's the classic stuff and the costumes are not all that. And, you know, if you look at some of the um, the more modern cyber Cybermen stories, like the David Tennant one, I think it's um, uh, the Age of Steel or something like that. There's um, you know, the Cybermen are you know they walk very fast and very marchy and you know they're a lot more threatening and stuff like that. Whereas in this one, it's just they move kind of slowly. They just plod around, you know, have a chat with one another. You know, the plans going okay, yeah, 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 and that's it. That's you know that's your lot in terms of Cybermen. So that for me let the story down quite a bit um the fact that they were able to be talked into doing something so quickly and so easily by the doctor um and even like when they capture some of the humans like um Lytton and 
you know, the other kind of um, thugs that are with him, um, you know, they, they don't kill them, you know, they don't do anything, you know, they're easily talked out of their initial plan. Um, yeah, so kind of a letdown for me on this one, the Cybermen. Um, the other letdown for me slightly was... Oh, I, I hate to say it, and that is the Doctor in this. Um, like I said at the beginning, he's not one of my favourite Doctors. Um, I don't mind. I don't mind him. Colin Baker is the Doctor, um, and sometimes I hate myself for saying that because, you know, anyone that's met Colin Baker, you know, would know that he's such a nice guy, and you know the way he was treated by the BBC at the time, and the way that he was. Um, almost forced to leave the show and stuff it's you know it's any wonder you know the, the guy is still such a an ambassador for the show it's it's quite amazing so in, in a way there's a tiny part of me that you know has a, a little bit of guilt for saying these things but you know that's my opinion that's you know that's just the way I, I feel about that particular era um I think the writing was a bit um it got a bit dark, I think, and a little bit, um, not on the mature side, but, you know, slightly kind of sub-violent and a little bit, yeah, just the showing its dark side a little and, um, yeah. I mean, this episode's not too bad. As, as far as I understand, it's the first, the first episode of that series. Um, yeah, series 22, it's the first one, so he's fresh off a of regeneration. Um... And there's a couple of nice little scenes where Perry's kind of saying to him, you know, you know, this is, you know, very soon from your regeneration. Are you sure your mind is in the right place? Because, you know, you were calling me like past companions earlier. And, you know, he does seem a little bit, a little bit zany in this at times. Um, yeah, overall, he's not bad. I mean, there were a couple of good bits to it. Um, the locations were quite cool. Um I'm not sure. Maybe somebody can can let me know and contact me on this. But the 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 junkyard where um, he lands the TARDIS in London is that supposed to be the same the same location as an unearthly child? Is it meant to be that place? Is it meant to tie in somehow? Is it meant to be, or is it just any old junkyard? I'm not sure. And also the I did have a little chuckle when. At the beginning, the Doctor's kind of got all the wires out of the TARDIS and stuff, and he's having a crack at trying to repair the chameleon circuit. And it ends up turning into a an organ at one point, and then a big whatever it is. Um, so that was quite funny. Actually, it was a, a, a decorated... Apparently, anyway, there's, after a pipe organ, it was a, a, a decorated stove at first, then it was the organ, and then it was an, um, an ornamental gateway, apparently. Yeah, so that was Attack of the Cybermen. Um, like I said, uh, I found it okay. Probably not one that I will revisit revisit that often, um, but I still think it was quite a good, quite a good story. And Colin Baker wasn't too bad. He's been in a lot better Doctor Who stories. Don't get me wrong, but this wasn't too bad. And I've certainly seen worse from the classic years. So if I had to give this a rating out of ten, I would probably give this a six. Uh, which I think is pretty fair. Um, so yeah, so that wraps up the classic retrospective. And 
friends, that is a wrap for episode four. Thank you very much again for joining me and listening to my rants and rabbles about all things Who. Once again, a big thank you to the guys that have contacted me via Facebook and letting me know your favourite classic uh, Doctor Who DVDs. There are a few in there that I haven't seen yet, so when I go to pick up my next batch of classic DVDs, I will be sure to grab those and check them out, so thank you very much for that. You can find me on all the usual social channels if you want to have a chat on Twitter. You can find me at BigBlueBoxPCast on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash BigBlueBoxPodcast. And you can find these audio podcasts and other bits and pieces over at the site www.BigBlueBoxPodcast.co.uk Until next time, my name's Gary. Thank you once again for joining me. And Alonzi!